So we know that Rashi is extremely precise in whatever he says in his commentary. And one of the things that he's very cautious to do is not to repeat information that we already know unless there's something to add or unless there's been a big gap since we last had that information. That's why it's so unusual that in this parasha, he effectively repeats what looks like the same information twice. And in doing so, he's going to teach us something not just about the nations that occupied Eretz Canaan before the Jews got there, but also about our own spiritual development. The Rebbe has discussed numerous times how precise Rashi's comments are on the Torah, including Rashi typically does not repeat a commentary twice. A very clear, blatant example of this is what Rashi says at the beginning of Pashas Vayakel, I've already explained the information that you need to know about the contributions to the Mishkan and about how you're supposed to make it. That was all discussed at the time it was instructed. I'm not going to repeat it again now. So when would Rashi repeat information? Unless Rashi is going to give us further information or further clarification of something which he has said earlier. Or if there's a major gap between when the last time Rashi spoke about this and now, especially if it's in two different books of the Chumash, then Rashi will briefly repeat the comment, even if it's not going to add any further insight or information. Because Rashi considers the realistic possibility that we might not remember what he said in the previous commentary because it was so far away. But if Rashi is careful not to repeat the same parish unnecessarily, how much more so if it's in the same parasha? It's really far-fetched to imagine that we will have forgotten what Rashi said earlier in the parish, just a number of psukim earlier. So, needless to say, Rashi, in the same parish, does not have to repeat his commentary on unless there's new information or new insight. In that case, we have a big question with regards to our parasha. Because in our parasha, Rashi repeats what looks like the identical commentary twice. Even Pasuk, first when he comments on the Pasuk that says that that David says, I'm going to send a Malach ahead of you. He has the part, the Gerashti, and I will then chase out of the land of Israel. Six of the seven nations is Rashi Matik from Postuk. So Rashi quotes the words, Vegerashti Asaknani Vegoimer, I will chase out the Knani, etc. On his Mephorish, and he tells us, Shisha Umoisein. This list only contains. Six nations. Why? Because for Hagirgoshi may love, because the Girgoshi chose of their own accord to leave Eretz Israel before the Jews got there. So that is the one Pasuk, a little bit later in the parasha, not very much further in the parasha. The Pasuk says, the says, I will chase from before you the various nations. Then again is Rashimatika Soy Mari Vagomi. Rashi takes those words there, Mori, etc. And again he tells us. There are six nations listed here, right here, because the Girgashi already left. 
is he frustrating? So with the principle that we have followed, this really doesn't seem to make sense. Why does Rashi repeat the same explanation more than once? We're going to have a look at the muscular David, one of the commentators on Rashi, to see if perhaps that gives us an answer. So the explanation the muscular David gives is why does Rashi repeat the same information because there is a difference between the two psukim. The second pasuk tells us that the Ebishter will personally lead the way to chase these nations out of the land. And he won't outsource to a malach. Which is what the earlier pasuk said. And so therefore, that must be why Rashi explains it. Yes, who is going to chase out the nations is different from one pasuk to the other. One describing a malach, the other describing the Ebishter. But which nations? That is common to both psukim. Even when the Ebishter is personally chasing out the nations of Canaan, the other six nations are not just going to automatically run out of the land, as you might have imagined, to avoid a war with Eden. Rashi is telling us, even when the Ebishter is personally chasing the nations out of Egypt, uh, sorry, out of Canaan, the only nation that's going to run away in advance to avoid a conflict is the Girgoshi, and that's the same information as when he told us a Malach would lead us in Teretz That's the suggestion. The Rebbe has two questions. It's not clear. First of all, the Chiddush. What's the new information over here? What Rashi, according to the Masculine David, is telling us is that despite the fact that Hashem personally is coming to chase the nations out of Canaan, six of them won't leave. Rashi doesn't say that. He does not talk about why these six nations defy Hashem and stay in the land until they're chased out by war. Rashi only focuses on the Girgoshi who opted to leave. And we know why the Girgoshi are not there, because Rashi already told us in the previous Pasuk, they chose to leave. So what's the Kiddush? What information are you telling me? The Masculine David is suggesting that Rashi is telling us information Rashi does not state. Also, Beze. Let's say the Pasuk had told us. Had the Pasuk said something along the lines of the Jews will fight against these nations and be victorious because Hashem is with them, then then we could understand the argument the Masculine David is putting forward, which is in spite of the fact that David is leading the charge of this war against these nations, still, we'll still have to fight against them. The only one that we don't have to fight against is Girgoshi, who decided to leave of their own accord. That's if the Pasuk had said that, but it doesn't. The Pasuk that says, I, the Ebishter, I'm going to chase out these nations. That's a Kalitveng Mechama. It doesn't mention one word about battle. On Ochmer, besides that, Pashtus Lishena, Pasuk is Mashmas, the Ret Medenvegna, Bestren, Ifenakibos. If you read that Pasuk at face value, it actually sounds like the Ebishter is offering an alternative to battle that's even better to, than battle. I'm going to chase them out. And if you're an Alkum Tois, 
As the Pirish is in Stirli Ilif and Hinigayosh Miparechos. And if you go with the Maskele David's explanation, which is in spite of the Abishta being there, we still have to have a war, that seems to be the direct opposite of what the Pasuk is saying at Face Valley. Because the only people that actually left without a war were the Girgoshi. So that, that explanation doesn't satisfy us. Now, the question about Rashi repeating the same Pirush apparently twice, di kashya, vert noch starker, is even stronger when you think about it. Because, let's say that Rashi does believe that according to our understanding of the simple meaning of the Pasuk, we have to explain, So, what's bothering Rashi? Is Rashi bothered by the fact that the Pasuk is addressing a list of six nations when we all know that there are seven Canaanite nations? If that's what's bothering Rashi, this is not the first time in the Chumash, it's not even the first time in the book of Shmois where the Torah lists only six out of the seven Canaanite nations. So if this is a problem, Rashi should have addressed the problem where it appears earlier. I'll call upon him before his time free. At least one of the earlier occasions where we have this rest- reference. Multiple times there's a list of only six out of the seven nations, of which two in Pasha Shmois, once in Pasha Mishpatim, and is Rashi So we're arguing that Rashi is bothered by the fact that there's only six nations on a list of seven, and that's why he has to address it. That has happened three times previously in Shmois, and he didn't address it. Now, Pasha Mishpatim, we could easily explain why he didn't address it, because in Pasha Mishpatim came in we could argue why Rashi did not address how come there's only six nations on the list out of the seven because the context over there is introduced right at the beginning by the Ebishta saying the Ebishta says bad news I'm sending a Malach to lead you into Eretz Canaan Rashi is my first Rashi explains what's going on over here. They were warned by the Ebishta that they're going to sin in the future. And the response to that is the Ebishta saying, my presence is not going to be with you. And that story unfolds in our parasha. Right? It's in our parasha where the Ebishta tells Moshe Rabbeinu after the Chet Egel, which is the predicted sin, I'm going to send a Malach. I'm not coming amongst you or with you. So when you're in Parashas Mishpatim, Rashi knows you're still going to learn the unfolding of that story in our Parashas Prat. So Rashi says, you know what, we'll learn all of the information, including this detail, why the Pasuk only lists six out of the seven nations. We'll deal that when we get to that story. What Rashi is going to explain in our parasha? Fine. So maybe in Mishpatim he didn't have to address this. But the two occasions in parasha Shmois where it only talks about six out of the seven nations, we still have the question: Where the pasuk doesn't speak about the Girgashi? Then why does Rashi not address it? Big question. Why is this only becoming an issue now that has to be addressed? And then finally, before we unpack Rashi, there are four linguistic distinctions between the two Pirushim of Rashi, and they'll obviously hold clues for us. So we do really have to pay attention to the different language usage of the two commentaries that appear to be identical that Rashi has in our parasha. The first time Rashi addresses this, he says, There are only six nations implied on this list. 
Whereas in Svetan Pirish, the second time he says it, he says, Shisha Umois Yeshkan. There are six nations here. Why the distinction of saying here? Number two, base. But Firoshi the first time Rashi says there are only six nations over here, and the Girgoshi left of their own accord. Whereas the second Pasuk, he says, there are only six nations. Key, very different. Key, because Hagirgoshi left of their own accord. What's the difference between saying, why didn't he say because in the first one? Gimel. Second, third distinction. In the first explanation, he emphasizes not only did the Girgoshi leave, but they did so of their own accord. He doesn't mention that at all in the second Pasuk, just says they left. And lastly, Dalit by the Meshra Molly's Rashi Matik from Pasuk, Rashi quotes the word in his headline, that Abish is saying, I will chase out the Kanani. Whereas by the Metzvetan Molizamatik, whereas the second time he makes the comment, he doesn't talk about being chased out. He just says who the people are. does not quote the words about being chased out. These will give us clues to understand the distinction between the two psukim. And in order to understand why Rashi has two different explanations, we actually have to look at the context of the two psukim. First, we look at the difference between our parasha and Shmois, and then the difference between the two psukim and our parasha. So So the distinction between our lists that only have six out of the seven uh, nations versus the other places in Shmois, it's so simple to distinguish what the difference is between what Shmois was talking about, what we're talking about. It's the difference between whether you are describing the geography or whether you're describing the population. The references in Parsha Shmois are not speaking about the people who make up the population of seven nations. It's talking about the geographical location they occupy, which was going to become our land. Because in that context, Debisha promises us he'll take our nation out of Egypt and take us to this great expansive land, the place that is flowing with milk and honey. Which place is that? The place occupied at that time by these Canaanite nations. Vo'oimar plus the Ebishter says, El I'll take you out of the poverty and the distress of, of Mitzrayim. El Eretz HaKnani V'goyim. El Eretz HaVascholo V'dvash. The emphasis over here is the land. Those Pesukim are talking about the land. If you're talking about the land, is in Pshutei Shomikah Kinkashin. It then, at the face value of understanding the Pesuk, it's no biggie that Favos Erechen Yitoi Salah Shiva Umay said he doesn't list the names of all seven nations who lived there. We don't really care about who lived there as much as where the place is. Baramdas is moving from Pshat HaPosuk. It's actually self-understood from the Pasuk. It is Makdimun Madgish, because the Pasuk tells us by way of introduction, what are we talking about? The land that is promised to us, this beautiful land flowing with milk and honey. Yeshloimer. Maybe that's actually the reason why this particular list excludes the Girgoshi because the great wealth and beauty of Eretz Yisrael is primarily found in the area that was occupied by these six nations, not so much by the Girgoshi. So that's great. In Parashat Shmois, we're not bothered by the fact that the Girgoshi are not on the list because we're not talking about population groups. Whereas with Parashat Seinu Abar, our Parashat is talking about removing those nations. We're not talking about getting their land. We're talking about destroying and removing those nations. In which case, the nations should all be on the list, surely. 
Look at the Pasuk. I'm sending a Malach to chase out those nations. Well, we need to know which nations. That's why Rashi says, hang on a second, if we're talking about the nations who will be removed from Eretz Yisrael and the Girgashi or one of those nations, where are they? Says Rashi, they've already gone. But then, we have, now that we have the major distinction between whether you're looking at the land or you're looking at the people, with the people itself, there's two psukim with two different messages. In them gufes, avadon untashayid, from the ersten pasuk, the gabayit, them tzveitin pasuk, big difference between the first and the second pasuk. On der chiluk vet ongedayit in divert vas rashi's matik from pasuk, Rashi will lead us to understand what the difference between the two psukim is by his choice of which words out of those psukim he would use as the heading for each of his commentaries. So by Mereshtim Pasuk, the, the first Pasuk is Rashi, Matik Diverta Rashi quotes and therefore highlights these words, Vegeirashti Asakrani Gomen, that David says, I'm going to chase out these nations. Dot, Retzach Vedeivishta, Vet Ibegeben Diumos, Indi Hentfum Bene Israel, it's effectively a Pasuk describing how Hashem will deliver those nations into our hands. Of Et Fatraibin Dem Kranion Azeviter, and he's going to get rid of all of these nations. Oh, so you're talking about the nations being handed over to us. We need to understand. This Pasuk only describes that six out of the seven nations will be delivered into our hands. We know that there's another nation, the seventh nation of Girgashi. How do we get rid of them? Rashi says, I'll explain to you. Rashi. Shisha Umo is saying there are six on this list. As a Vagirashti, Batsitzach Taka, not to Zex Umois, because the Abish are having to expel these nations only really applies to six of them. On the Zibit, and the reason is because the seventh one, the Hagirgoshi, already of their own volition left, and they don't have to be chased out of the land. The context is a completely different context. We're not purely describing that the Abishra will rid the land of these people. Rather, it is a continuation of a discussion which is how we should behave in the context of these people. says, God, carefully what I'm about to instruct you. And then, after we're told about these nations that we have to remove, or that Abish is going to remove from the land, the context is so that we don't uh, transgress any of the following instructions. He Don't um, uh, copy their idolatry, make sure to destroy their, their misbochos, don't intermarry. This Pasuk is not describing the method that the Ebrister will use to oust these people from the land. That was the previous Pasuk. We already spoke about that. And we addressed why the Girgashi don't have to be dealt with because they're gone. Here, here, all we're discussing about the nations living in this land is to tell you that Hashem wants us to know how to behave vis-a-vis those nations. On the far is moving. As the host tells the shaila, so now the question in this pasuk is a different question. Nit kan al vizim in potigivorim from Girgashi. Here we're not worried. How did we get rid of the Girgashi? We've dealt with that. No favos demont donit the pasuk Girgashi. The question is a different question. If you're telling me about restrictive behavior in our interactions with non-Jewish Canaanite nations, why are we not given those restrictions about the Girgashi? Surely all of the instructions also affect the Girgashi. Why are they not on the list? Different question.
Now, parenthetically, we can it for infant. Don't try and dodge this question by saying, as the words of this pasuk include that David just says, "I'll chase them out." And we have already learned that the Gergashi are gone. Can derivate the pasuk Nitzrechen and Gergashi, while so. <coughs> So maybe that's why Girgashi is not on the list, because we already know that they're gone. Maybe that's it. You don't even have to ask a question. Well, no, there's two reasons why that's not going to help. Number one, Hogufa Kasha, Kasha, that actually <laughs> creates a question of its own. Why then would the Pasuk, we already know that the Girgashi are gone. We already know that Davish is going to expel these nations. Why is it saying it again? And more importantly, why is it using the word expel, which cannot apply to the Girgashi, because they're no longer there to expel? Now that we understand that the context of this Pasuk is not so much about getting rid of the nations, but warning us how we should behave in context of those nations, the Pasuk should not have used the word Gersh, which doesn't apply to one of the seven nations, and chosen a different word that could have been common even to the Girgashi. There's another critical point. The truth of the matter is, the word chasing out could also apply to the Gergoshi. Because in a feeding of in the earlier Pasuk, where the Abisha says, I'm going to chase these nations out, we know clearly why that Gerashti cannot or must exclude the Gergoshi. That is the Pasuk that introduces for the first time the concept that the Eibishter is going to help us expel these nations. So that is, the Rebbe is not Pasuk to Zangirgoshi and Girfun di Shisha Umois. It wouldn't make sense. You're talking about chasing out nations. You can't include the Girgoshi. Because then we would mistakenly believe that the history is that Girgashi were also chased out by us because they went to war with us, which is not what happened. So there you need to know that the word chase out does not apply to the Girgashi because the chasing out there includes war and we know they didn't go to war with us. But... Where the Torah is not describing how they get chased out. In fact, it's really a sidebar that we're even talking about them getting chased out. But Turak Domakanal, which is just to get us onto the subject, which is the primary subject, how we should or should not interact and engage with these nations. Now, we already know that the Gurgashi volunteered to leave Eretz Israel. We could actually use the word Gersh in their context. How so? The fact that the Ebishter expels a nation doesn't have to be through assault, doesn't have to be through aggression. There are many ways it could happen. One of the things the Ebishter could do is to get into their heads and make them so anxious and fearful of the Jewish people that they choose to leave on their own. And that is also the Ebishter chasing them out. And that would fit with our Pasuk. So therefore, Rashi is back to this question. We get why there are only six nations on the list in the first Pasuk, because we're talking about who had to be battled in order to be expelled, and the Girgashi are not on that list. But the second Pasuk, which is telling us that we may not engage with these nations in certain ways, why are the Girgashi not on that list? Rashi explains. 
Why are there only six and not the Girgashi on this list? That's why Rashi changes his words and he doesn't just say there are six nations, but he says there are six nations. Can here, here is geographical. Only six of the nations at the time the Jews would cross the Yardin into Eretz Yisrael, only six of the nations would actually be living there at the time. And that's who we're talking about. Well, they're living there, so you need to know how to engage with them. That's why all of the restrictions that are then listed in the parasha. Lest you make a covenant, a peace treaty, with those living in the land. That you enter. You have to destroy the Mizbochis, etc. Telling us those restrictive clauses only apply to these six nations who are in the land of Israel when we get there. And you don't have to have an instruction about not engaging with the Girgashi or making a peace treaty with them or, or allowing them to have their places of pagan worship because they're not dead. Because they're gone. That would also explain why Rashi over here doesn't say the and the Girgashi went, but rather key because the reason we don't have to include them in the groups that we have to avoid or treat in a particular way is because they're not there. Neat veha Girgashi venashim. Pasuk doesn't just use the conjunction of a vav like in the first Pasuk. Vail benindidon is das anasinestam vavasti tzivuyim zainendonit negertsu Girgashi because Rashi's focus over here is to tell us this Pasuk wants us to know why the restrictive clauses that are being introduced over here do not apply to the Girgashi. Why? Because they're not there. And that would also explain why in this second explanation, Rashi does not have to emphasize the fact that the Grigashi left of their own accord because it's actually not relevant over here how or why they left. It's only relevant that they're not here. It makes no difference to us in this context if they chose to leave or they were forced out. The only thing that's relevant to us is they're gone. On the Afaris and Nitgiven in Klal von Yoshev Horetz, therefore they do not fit into the category of the inhabitants of the land who we may not make peace with, Ve'es as Atabola, when we enter the land. Now that has halachic implications. From the Nyonim Benigel Alochavas Mekenaroisnem and from the Pirishashi, we can extract the following halachic principle. Ve'bald as Girgoshi Omidofonomi Pneim, seeing as the Girgoshi chose to leave Eretz of their own accord, Onis, Beisaknes and Nitgiven, Ken Yoshev Horetz, and therefore were not inhabitants of the land. At the time we entered the land. So now you could ask a question. So yes, practically we don't have to worry about how we engage with the nation of Girgashim because they're not there. But halachically, do these rules apply to them or not? Let's say that the people of Girgashi came back to Eretz Yisrael. Now what? Do we have the same restrictions we have of the other six Canaanite nations or not because they were not inhabitants at the time? Is the determining factor what status they had when the Jews entered Israel for the first time? And the Girgashi were not inhabitants of the land at that point in time. So therefore there was no restriction about how to treat them because they were not part of the inhabitants. Or there, we bought us Mira Satsivo, yes, Yegaven, a Yeshavoritz. 
is or do we say no it's not about when the Jews got to Israel it's about when Hashem gave the instruction which is before the Jews got to Israel which is when the Girgashi were still living and were inhabitants of Eretz Israel in which case the law and restrictions must apply to them too it's especially if a Girgashi ever returns to Eretz Israel maybe they are included in all these restrictions and we may not make peace with them or allow them to have their mizbachos, etc. So we'll see Rashi's view on this. Rashi said clearly, Shisha umois yesh kani, says there are six nations who are currently here. Ki ha girgashi because the girgashi are gone. Is mashma, that implies, that Rashi's view is, why is the Ebishta only addressing six nations? Is there fire of Al given? Because at that time, practically, there are only six nations occupying the land of Canaan. Yesh Khan is the language that Rashi uses. Only six of them are currently in that space. But that's technical. But Conceptually, halakhically, the same restrictions would apply to the Girgashi. The reason we're not listing them is because they're not there, not because they're exempt from these laws. Especially considering that in our parasha, when the instruction is given about how to treat the nations of Canaan, the Girgashim are still in Eretz Israel. They're not going to lose that status by leaving before we get there. And that's why you find clearly in Pasha's in Sefer Dvarim, that the will hand them over to you, and you will destroy them. You should completely annihilate them. Don't make covenants with them. Don't show them grace. Don't marry into their families. Destroy them. Etc. And the implication of those psukim is that all of those clauses apply to all seven of the nations, including the Girgashi, who might physically not have been present at that time. And we're certainly not going to get ourselves painted into a corner of saying, well, we're only talking about the Girgashim before they actually left Eretz Yisrael, but once they left Eretz Yisrael, it no longer applies to them. And we're also not going to come up with a stretch and say, we're talking about those Girgashim who actually didn't leave but assimilated into the rest of the Canaanim. That's not the point. Girgashim are included in the Canaanite nations. And all the restrictions against Canaanite nations apply equally to the Girgashi, regardless of whether they happen to be there or not happen to be there at the time the Jews crossed the Yardin. Now, all of this carries a very powerful spiritual lesson for us. And in order to understand that spiritual lesson, we need a little bit of an introductory principle. So to get to the deep spirituality of it, we need just to introduce the following. Rashi uses two different expressions. The one is that the Girgashi got up and left of their own accord. Very important. And the second time we just said they left without emphasizing that it's of their own accord. Could actually be describing two different periods. The first time we discuss this when we say that there are six nations and the Girgashi left. So it sounds like the Ebershah forced those nations out, six of them through battle, 
And in addition, oich oich for lachar zev and sees nachtim gikum to gergoshi sag gergoshi omet cholek. And the impact of the abishdas chasing them out, the way it affected the gergoshi is that they left of their own accord. Whereas the second time that Rashi talks about this, where he says there are six nations because the Girgashi left, that is Mudgash as given That emphasizes that it's not that the other nations all got destroyed in battle and then the Girgashi left. And seeing what was going on, they left. Rather, key, by the time you come to confront the six nations, there's only six of them, because before any of this happened, the Girgashi already left. And therefore, they're not even included in the Abish's promise to chase them out, because they're gone and don't need to be chased. That would appear to be how the story actually unfolded. Even before the Jews got to Eretz Yisrael, and before they actually went to battle with the six nations that were still there, historically what happened is the Gergashi got out. And this is not a debate as to the reality of what happened, because there can only be one reality. What it means is, originally before the Jews got there, before they had battles with any of the six nations, most of the Girgashim got out. On and then there were the the, the, the stragglers of the Girgashi who had kind of assimilated into the rest of society. They left after the wars against the other six nations began. They come a coma. The Rebbe is not going to elaborate further at this point. What does that teach us spiritually? The beer in them We know very well that the metaphoric meaning of the seven nations of Canaan is the seven toxic character traits within a person which are the antithesis of the seven healthy holy uh, traits of a person Canaan is Chesed Tiklipa for example the Canaan represents uh, aberrant Chesed Chiti is Gevura as we well know from Chesidus, that the principle of conquering the land of Israel and the seven nations within it is supposed to play out in our lives as us conquering the negative traits that we have within our own personality and character. Each one of these nations represents a toxic behavior that is the antithesis of a holy, healthy behavior. So out of the seven, what does Girgashi represent? As Girgashi is the of Malchus de Klippa. Girgashi is the level of Malchus that is unhealthy Malchus. Right? Aberrant Malchus. So the implication over here is that if we are able to convert and refine and transform the six traits, the six nations that represent the, the, the six Midois, it's only natural that Malchus will then automatically be refined as well. Why is that? From Malchus, it's because Malchus is the feminine energy, in this case of Klippa, that has no stimulus of its own, it has no life of its own. Everything within Malchus is purely what it has absorbed from the preceding and greater Midos. So if we are able to neutralize all the negativity that was spewing down into this toxic malchus from the toxic midas, but now they, they, they've run dry because of our avoider, well then naturally there's not going to be any malchus de klippe because what's feeding it? 
What does that mean practically? Dinim from Malchus the Kripi in Avoida is a beginning from Machshava Dibur on Mais and Yinonim from Liumazeh. So Malchus of Kripa is thoughts, behavior, or words that are associated with impurity, with uh, with things that, that are contrary to Davishta. So when we are able to rectify, to consolidate, to uplift our six, what were once toxic meters, for example, the toxic chesed is no longer the desire and lust for things which are inappropriate. We refine our toxic gvuras so we no longer fly into anger. Etc. So if a person doesn't have the, uh, the pull to the, the lust for negativity, how are they going to think about it? If a person is not flying into a rage, how would they be using words or acting out in a way that is angry? Because thought, speech, and action are purely vehicles of expression of our characteristics. And based on our characteristics, that's what will translate into our actions or our thoughts or our words. We think, say, and do what our feelings drive. Neutralize those feelings. We won't do those things. So what are we saying? Get rid of all of the negative input and automatically the girgoshi will go. Automatically the bad behaviors and thoughts and words will disappear. But there's another way. But there's another way to do it. It is possible that a person hasn't yet done the hard and long work of modifying the character. Is a kevash The person can be practically in control. That yes, the person will have the predisposition and the feelings and the, the, the attraction to negative behaviors, but they won't allow it to translate into what they actually think, speak, or do. Which is quite similar to the, the overarching principle of how Abenini serves the Eibishter. describes in Tanya, the negative that is in the toxic part of the left side of the heart is is alive and kicking. And is completely desirous of everything that the world has to offer. And that motivation, that drive, that lust hasn't been even minorly uh, moved, displaced. And the greatness of the Benoni is he doesn't allow it to take hold. It's there. It's a battle every single moment of every single day, but he doesn't allow it to actually translate into a focused thought or into words or into behavior. That is the spiritual lesson or, or the spiritual depth of the two different commentaries that Rashi gives us. The first thing Rashi is describing is the normal order of business, how a person progresses step by step in a rational approach to be able to develop themselves and get into their personal Eretz To be able to conquer, refine, overturn the seven toxic states within a person. And there, if you're following that approach, first you work through each of the midos and you refine them and you translate them into something which is positive. And then the girgoshi will disappear because if we weed out all of the negative influences, naturally we're not going to think, speak, or say the wrong things. The negative malchus will neutralize of its own accord. 
The thought, speech, and action that used to accommodate all of that toxic energy will no longer do so because there is no longer toxic energy. Whereas the second Pasuk is not talking about how you go through the process as it was designed in order to achieve Eretz Yisrael spiritually. In other words, we're not describing over here how we transform the seven negative emotions that we have or character traits. And the second Pasuk is talking about practical. Don't do this. Stay away from that. Destroy that Mizbeach. Which is effectively telling us what we should do and what we should not do. What is acceptable or unacceptable thought, speech, and action, regardless of how much I've shifted internally. In that context, you cannot say the Girgoshi, the Malchus, disappears of its own accord automatically. Because guess what? These six midos are still here. They're still viable. They're still alive. They're still chewing off our ear. As Altareba describes it in Tanya, the negative uh, impetus, the negative distractions are there, alive and well. It's just that we have displaced the Girgoshi. Which means that a person has succeeded not in self-transformation in a very meaningful personal way, but has succeeded in self-management in the sense that those thoughts don't go there, those words don't come out, those behaviors don't happen. And even to achieve that, the only way to do it is a person has to have the input and the guidance and the power of the Chochmah dimension of our own Neshama from the Nefesh Again, as Dr. Rebbe says in Tanya, that when you radiate the wisdom and clarity of the Nefesh Alikis, the Chachma of the Nefesh Alikis, it naturally dispels the darkness slash foolishness of the Nefesh Abbey As Dr. Rebbe explains in great detail in Tanya, and that's why we speak about the Gergashi having left when you radiate the tremendously powerful light of the neshama, naturally it dispels the darkness. And because we're dealing in, in the second period of Rashi with people who are still grappling with their six negative traits, that's why the Pasuk says, be careful, be on guard. The person has to be on guard to ensure that the six midos do not influence the seventh to translate from theoretical temptations into practical application and behavior. So as we work on ourselves to refine and transform the seven points of our character, that prepares us and prepares the world for the ultimate uh, conquest of Israel, which includes not seven but ten nations, spiritually representing which at this stage of the game we don't really have the power to be able to transform. We have to work with the kind of that we have, the kind of Ratzin that we have. But when will we have this absolute control, both personally, all facets of the personality, and spiritually, all ten nations of Eretz Israel? That will be 
with the ultimate gula when we will inherit not only the original land that was from the seven Canaanite nations, but the additional three lands, that's when we'll have the fullest, complete version of Eretz Yisrael. As the Pesach says, the Ebishter will expand our borders, and that should happen immediately.